Justin, hello. How's it going? How's your week been? Oh, you know, it's just another week in the <laughs> crazy world of 2020, but but doing okay. No complaints, really. <laughs> good, good. Um, anything planned for the weekend? I was going to take the week of Thanksgiving off, but um, I had some things come up, so it's it might might be a little bit of work gearing up for a extended, maybe uh, a six day vacation instead of a, a whole nine day vacation. But uh, I guess that's a way of saying a little bit of work. <laughs> well, the, I guess the work never stops on the climate beat, huh? Right, that's true. That's true. How about you, Andrew? My wife and I are expecting a baby, so I think there will be some preparations going on in this household for the baby's arrival. That's that's very exciting. Congrats. Congrats again. Thank you so much. Well, I'm Andrew Simon, and this is Temperature Check, a new podcast from Grist. Temperature Check is a weekly show about climate, race, and culture. Coming up, we're going to hear about a cool climate solution called Community Solar with Crystal Hansley. She is the CEO of WeSolar, a really exciting new company. She's also a young, dynamic Black woman who is working to bridge the clean energy divide. But first, uh, today I'm getting a huge co-hosting lift from my friend Justin Worland. Welcome in, Justin. Thanks for having me, and congrats on launching. Thank you so much, Justin. Um, So Justin writes about energy and the environment over at Time Magazine. And as we just said, you know, a lot's happening in the energy and climate and environment space as always. So, uh, you know, Justin, your work focuses on uh, the intersections of energy, uh, environment, uh, policy and business. Um, And no big deal, Justin, I know you're a modest dude, but uh, did a major cover story for Time Magazine this year on the climate crisis. How are things looking in the clean energy space in particular? I, I sort of feel like there's good news, there's bad news. That's exactly right. It's it's a really mixed picture. I yeah. mean, if you just look at a metric like jobs, right? Like yeah. the clean energy sector has lost six hundred thousand jobs between March and May. I mean, that's mm. a that's a huge number. It makes sense when you think about jobs in like installation of solar panels or energy efficient, you know, retrofits to homes. There's a lot of things that just like don't really make sense to do in a pandemic. Right. But I do think that, you know, that's that's sort of the short-term picture. If you look at the bigger picture, things look really, really bright. Just look at a metric like the stock market, right, where uh, mm. clean energy funds, many of them have grown by 100% just this year, you know, right. doubled in, in value. Um, and you look at the sort of projections for clean energy as part of the electricity mix, and it's expected to grow very dramatically in the in the next few decades. And I, and I think there's just a couple reasons, one of the big ones that fits with the 2020 theme is just politics and this expectation that uh, that there's going to be a new approach to energy. And then there's also just the element of simple economics. The costs have continued to come down. And I think the final point of just, uh, you know, people are increasingly aware of this climate crisis that right. we're in, and they're increasingly committed to doing something about it. I think it came out last week that 90% of a new electricity generation in 2020 will be renewable and only 10% will be powered by coal and gas. And I mean, that that really speaks to a bit of a shift, right? I mean, that that speaks to some changing of the guard here as, as you know, the country moves closer and closer to clean energy. It's a really remarkable figure that you cite. And, uh, you know, it helps. It helps. And it's easy to applaud these changes. Yeah, but actually, right. you know, that we have to think about the fact that fossil fuels are were 60% of electricity generation last year. Uh, we have to think about the fact that electricity generation is just yeah. a quarter of the bigger pie, right? When you think about 
transportation, agriculture, and the mm. industrial sector. So, you know, really important changes that we're seeing in electricity as a society, as, you know, government, business, et cetera, needs to think about how to expedite that because uh, it's, it's not happening fast enough. Well, yeah, and this is all a great framing for the conversation uh, that we're going to get into today, which is about community solar. Justin, you're the expert, so maybe you can fact check me on this, but community solar as a model is one where uh, if you're someone who doesn't have the means or the access to installing solar on your home uh, where you reside, that you can actually buy into a local solar panel, solar farm, and get your energy generated that way. And in some ways, there are some, uh, some cost savings to that, not to mention the ease with which that maybe goes on the environment. Did I get that right? Did, did I explain community solar right? Oh, totally got that right. The, the one thing I would add, just from talking to people in communities with community solar, is just the buy-in and the excitement that they get about mm. participating in the solution. Mm. You know, yes. like, yes, they're saving money, but they also feel like they're part of this this communal effort to help. But anyway, you, you got it right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Oh, whew, okay. <laughs> I feel a little better. Okay. Well, yeah, so we're about to get into it. Uh, again, today's big interview is with Crystal Hansley, founder and CEO of the company We Solar. She'll tell us about how she's helping people save money and the planet at the same time. This is Temperature Check from Gris and Justin, hang tight. We'll get back to chatting with you in a bit. Hi, I'm Mirka, the Social Media Engagement Fellow at Grist.org. Temperature Check is a new show about climate, race, and culture produced by Grist and made possible by listeners like you. Founded in 1999, Grist remains committed to changing the national narrative around climate. And as a nonprofit, none of our work is possible without the steady and loyal support from people like you. At a time when our global community demands action to address the climate crisis, our work at Grist has never been more important. Every day we work tirelessly to bring you the climate news that matters most. And for us to engage our audience of millions of people, we need you. So thank you for joining today's episode and please consider making a donation to Grist today. Donate now and your gift will be matched dollar for dollar. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for dropping by, Crystal. Thank you, Andrew, for having me. Your company is based in Maryland, right? Yes. And just with my experience, before I launched on my own, I was a part of the efforts that brought the very first community solar pilot programs to the state and the very first low to moderate income farms on the retail side Mm. to the state. If you're someone who, say, wants to lease or wants to own, wants to put uh, solar panels on your home, I mean, how much is the, the cost for that? What's the entry point there? Traditionally, um, 10 kilowatt system or average single family, it's about roughly fifteen to $20,000. That's, that's a lot of money. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds to me that part of the community solar model is also that customers can actually save money by opting into community solar. Is that right? Oh, I mean, that is the takeaway. It's all cost savings. It's baked into the the law. So as soon as you sign up to a community solar pilot program, um, hopefully it's no longer a pilot in some states, you automatically receive savings. Right. And would you maybe just break down how do the savings work? Is it a credit or refund basis? Let's say customer Andrew would like to receive community solar via WeSolar. We look at your utility bill and assign you X amount percentage of the community solar farm, meaning you have 
virtual net metering credits, we're spinning the meter backwards, and you receive those savings or that solar energy directly on your utility bill, and we guarantee mm. a price that's below market rate. So mm. right now, for low-income to moderate household, the savings is 25% for however long they want to be a subscriber. I read recently uh, an article about you and your company, and I think um, the article mentioned that black households in the U.S. tend to pay more for their energy than white households. Why is that the case? Well, traditionally, you have like outdated HVAC systems. And so how we're powering our homes, it's just it costs more on just the back end. But then also we don't really understand our utility bill. So even when I'm in the market of just trying to educate and do outreach, there's a lot of third party suppliers and also the average consumer, white or black, don't really know what kilowatts are. They don't understand that the the rates are varies. And so if you're not really paying attention to your utility bill, you could have like third party suppliers that's upcharging you. And so what I found by just doing courtesy audits is that a lot of these underrepresented communities or those who don't have access to just understanding their energy bill, in some cases are paying 50% more. And so that directly correlates to that study, where it's just, you know, there needs to be more outreach and education. Right. Because what you're really trying to do is create access points for people to opt into solar energy who otherwise would have been excluded because of those high costs you mentioned earlier, right? Yes. I mean... Obviously, the high cost, like I said, fifteen, twenty thousand, is the average cost of a system. But then also, you have to have the credit score, right? You have to actually mm. be a homeowner. So, I mean, as a millennial, we're just now getting into like the housing market, and so right. a lot of millennials don't have the access or Generation Z. And I love that Community Solar bridged those gaps and increased the market by eighty percent. How many of your customers are already aware of solar as an option versus those who might be discovering for the first time? I would have to say that there's this green energy divide. Mm. Let's say if I need low to moderate income households, because most of the pilot programs are directly targeted for underserved communities that need the savings the most. However, they're not the only communities that are represented. So you have the open category where, you know, they might receive five to 10% savings versus um, Mm. low income and underserved savings is up to 25, 30%. And in DC, their LMI program, low to moderate income household is 50% off. And so what I realized is that for the open category where it's typically middle middle class, upper middle class, there's not as much of a learning curve that's mm. associated with this product. Now, Community Solar really was able to break into that market and become competitive with traditional oil and, you know, dirty energy prices mm. for the first time. And so some of like the wind customers they were already green. And so that's your lowest hanging fruit. And typically those customers are a little bit more informed and aware and socially and eco-conscious. However, um, when you compare that to majority of the low to moderate income household subscribers, there is a larger um, learning curve in the sense that one, 
they've been preyed upon before by energy third party suppliers promising right. them you know savings and so they're a little more cautious and apprehensive about the sign up process how do you convince the customers to opt into we solar when there might be some skepticism i mean when we talk about the divide again it's about trust i live within a community that i'm serving and so i'm a local organization I attend the same grocery stores as my customers and the same banks. And so you could see me anywhere. <laughs> right. And also mm. people like the fact that, wow, you have not let up. I've been in these meetings. I'm in some very sketchy neighborhoods. And so once people see you over and over and over again at the community meetings and church services, I've been mm. brought into like the middle of a church service in the pulpit, talking community solar in Baltimore, Maryland, and some churches. And once people see that you're committed, you're not giving up, they might just click on that link and open that brochure to say, wow, there's something here. I've been fortunate you know, to be in community meetings and use the officials in the room. And so that's been one of my methods as far as just being creative and saying, hey, I'm in a room full of state delegates. You know, Three of them are on the stage. Do you guys know about this pilot program? And then the folks were asked, is this true? And in one meeting, all three of them had to co-sign and said, yes, this is correct. And the entire room just interrupted. And so it's just using the resources around you. Once you pass the bill, the work still needs to get done. It took about six years for the legislation to pass in Maryland. But now when it comes to implementation and getting over that trust hurdle, you know, that's where organizations like We Solar and nonprofits and other environmental conscious community have to step in. I'm listening to you talk, Crystal, and I just hear the passion and energy in your voice and the dedication to this. So why is why is this mission so important to you? Initially, the community solar pilot program, when it was unfolding in Maryland, I wasn't able to sign up. There was a 700 credit score requirement. Wow. I was a part of an organization at the time that was bringing this online to address the inequality and the issues. And eventually, months later, the developers and those parties involved saw that those terms just wasn't going to work. You know, the average credit score for Americans is a 650. And mm. so even though we had a pilot program that obviously was designed for low-income in moderate income households in the state of Maryland and other states, you still had backdoor terms that excluded those exact same people that you were trying to target um, just by being out of touch. But I didn't give up. I stayed with the organization and I lobbied on behalf of the industry and the working class families because they were not going to have access to this amazing product if the credit requirement wasn't reevaluated. Mm. You know, one thing I wanted to ask uh, is, so you were on the staff of Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. So before you worked uh, for We Solar, you worked in D.C. I, think, I believe you worked with Congresswoman Eleanor Norton as well. I'm wondering, you know, what did you learn in Washington that you're now bringing to your company, We Solar? You know, working as a um, fellow and then a staffer in Harry Reid's office and then on the community um, district side for Congresswoman Norton, I got to see and practice a lot of the policies directly impact our communities. But then there was still like a disconnect um, as far as like how Americans really felt as far as like their political officials. Right. Like just the approval rates 
for Congress is always like hovering around 40 percent or lower. Um, and I'm just like, I don't understand that. And so for me, I wanted to, you know, from policy working in Reed's office, um, I started the transition to community when I worked in the district office, because obviously as a congressional staffer, each member has their legislative side and then they also have their district office. And so in that side, I got to really just interact with the community to bridge mm. the policies because that's when they would, you know, file grievances, whether it's a social security matter or obviously all federal issues or a VA matter. And that is when I was able to see how the law worked and then applying the policies to saying, hey, you're right, you are covered under this and we're going to write a letter on behalf of the congresswoman um, to address this issue. And immediately the response, the agencies do not like receiving those grievances from, you know, the legislative branch. They just don't. And so on that side, I was able to see the whole 360 of policy because the law backed it up. And um, I just wanted to continue on that and implement a state policy on the renewable energy side. The connection that I hear between your work at WeSolar, your work in D.C., it's, it's like you're listening to the community, meeting the community where it is, and, and really trying to provide something that's, that's not there or that has fallen short, right? <laughs> now that we have a new administration, they still need folks to hold yeah. their foot to the fire. Like you still need community and you still need those organizations that are on the ground to be the lobbying or bridging efforts to make sure that what's been promised and the laws that actually pass are, you know, trickling down and it's actually having the impact and the effects that's needed to address the needs of society and the populace. So the solar industry is predominantly a white industry. And I think I read it a, a recent survey that said uh, among senior executives, 88% are white, 80% are men. And for you, Crystal, a Black woman CEO in this industry, what types of obstacles have you faced? For the most part, I've been accepted. I've had a lot of interest from the majority populations in society, but I'm still like mm -hmm. within the first, you know, minutes of it. But even with the headline and the era of, you know, supporting black owned businesses and the minorities and communities that dealt with the blunt end of, you know, environmental injustice, mm. I think you kind of want to make sure that we solar and the companies and other minority companies that come after me are treated well within the space, especially in this time where there's right. a hyper-focal lens that's magnifying the injustice. And let's just forget the racial part for a second. The economics, right? right. Solar right. is on the upside. Obviously, you face different issues depending on people owns prejudice. You're describing your launch and how recent it was. I mean, you, you launched on Juneteenth of 2020. Is that right? That is correct. And why that date? That's just a significant date for African-Americans and a symbol of freedom. And I know for a fact that launching on that date and in the sector and bringing a community solar pilot program would be a great story. And I just want to be able to lay down that foundation for others to come after me and pick up the baton and, you know, move forward and carry it forward.
All right, and moving on to our final segment of the show. Uh, this is where we like to do something a little offbeat with each guest. Uh, and today, we're going to try a pop quiz uh, with you, Crystal, on films that feature solar power or solar panels. Uh, once again, we're joined by We Solar founder and CEO Crystal Hansley. Uh, Crystal, how are you feeling about this? I am feeling nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I can tell you're pretty fearless, so I I think you got this. What we're going to do is we're going to give you uh, a hint or two, and we're going to see if you can identify the film in question for three movies, okay? Okay. Here is the hint for the first movie. In this film, Mark Watney, a NASA astronaut played by Matt Damon, gets left behind on planet Mars during a storm. I got to figure out a way to grow three years worth of food here. On a planet where nothing grows. The film is? Oh, man. I want to say, is it Mars? I want to say I've seen it. I'm going to say you got it right because it is the film The Martian. So we're going to give you credit for that when you got it. (laughs) (laughs) You got the right planet. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in the movie, uh, the Martian, Matt Damon's character is able to survive uh, by collecting solar energy. <laughs> okay, I have to revisit that. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is, hey, this is temperature check right here. Right, um, exactly. It's getting hot. It is getting hot. Exactly, exactly. So here's your hint for the second film. This is an animated film about a curious and lonely robot tasked with cleaning up a decimated and vacant planet Earth. Disney Pixar film, that's another hint. Eve. Eve. Eva. <laughs> Eva. Eve. Oh my gosh. Uh, um, what is this saying? Um, phone home. Is it? <gasps> oh, so that's E.T., <laughs> it is not E.T. Um, Disney Pixar movie. I know I don't watch many Pixar. Sorry, I give up. The answer is Wally. Oh, okay. Stands for Waste Allocation Load Lifter Earth Class. Uh, and this robot in the film, or at least the batteries, are powered by solar energy. Okay, we're moving on to the third movie so this one's a documentary and it's a sequel and i'll give another hint here i'll just say vice president al gore um documentary it's a sequel and it features vice president al gore okay it's the um, something truth or for untold truth the okay and it's right on the tip of my tongue and he did do another one that's it. recently. Well, that's it. I'm going to give you a half point on, on this one. Uh, the film is an inconvenient sequel, A Truth to Power. It's the follow-up of Al Gore's 2006 documentary, An Inconvenient Truth. And the sequel features Georgetown, a town in Texas where the mayor is said to be running on 100% solar and wind energy. Right. Okay. I said the forbidden truth, the untruth or something. <laughs> I was trying to get it. I was trying to. I kind of like the Forbidden Truth. I maybe it may, maybe it would have been a bigger box office smash if it was called the Forbidden Truth. Actually, right. <laughs> oh right, okay, I'll copyright. So. <laughs> 
Well, Crystal Hansley, uh, this last segment was was really fun, but in earnest, thank you so much for your time and coming on Temperature Check. It was really fantastic to hear about your company, the work you're doing. Where can people follow you and find your work? So my website is www.wesolar.energy. And you can also find us on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wesolar underscore energy. All right. That quiz portion of the show was a lot of fun. Um, thank you so much, Justin. It has been such a pleasure to, to chat with you. Yeah, no, no problem. It's been a lot of fun and uh, it was great to learn more about WeSolar. Yeah, yeah, for me too. Um, so yeah, again, big thanks to Justin Worland of Time Magazine. And Justin, before you bounce, uh, where can we find your work? Yeah, well, you can find me on Twitter at Justin Worland and you can sign up there for my newsletter. It's 1.5. Uh, it's bi-weekly. I, I basically look at the biggest stories of the week and explain the connection to climate, get us thinking about how climate is connected to everything. Yeah, so find me there. Excellent. Well, you heard it here. Uh, follow Justin on Twitter. Go sign up for his newsletter. And again, thank you so much, Crystal Hansley, for coming on the pod. Crystal is the founder and CEO of We Solar. What a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Temperature Check is a podcast from Gris, produced in collaboration with Reasonable Volume. It's hosted by me, Andrew Simon. My co-me today was Time Magazine's Justin Worland. It's produced by Brianna Flores, with editing by Elise Hugh and Rachel Swaby. Caroline Saunders is Gris' chief of staff, and this podcast marketing lead. Sound engineering is by Mark Bush. Grist is a nonprofit reader-supported newsroom covering climate justice and solutions. If you'd like to support what we do, you can rate, subscribe, and tell all your friends to subscribe to Temperature Check. You can also help to sustain our work by going to grist.org slash donate. That's G-R-I-S-T dot org slash donate. Temperature Check.